0: If you do have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of John. i going to pick up where we left off last week, almost. John chapter number 21. Just to give you a little update. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, obviously after the crucifixion. He'd been on the ground for three days, and he appeared to Mary Magdalene, the other Marys. And then he appeared before the disciples. And we looked at last week how he appeared before those disciples, but he, he didn't appear before Thomas because Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't where he was supposed to be. And Thomas, being arrogant like most of us are, said, Well, I won't believe it till I see it. And so Jesus appeared to him as well. And he gave us the warning that he told him, You believe because you saw, but Buster, those that they haven't seen, but yet they believe. That's our context. That's where we are today. We didn't get to physically see the resurrected Jesus because he was only here on the earth for 40 days after he was resurrected. We had to believe by faith, not by sight. So he had come before them twice, and then we see in verse number 21, or chapter number 21, I'm sorry. Let's go ahead and read through the first 14 verses, and then we'll come back and pull it apart a little bit. It says after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathan, or Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of the disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask, Who art thou, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So we see an amazing thing taking place here. Jesus has presented himself twice. The disciples are there. They're basically in quarantine. They're they're still hiding because they're, they're still in fear of what the local government is going to do to them. Their leader, Jesus, was crucified. And even though he's resurrected, the, guards are st- the, the soldiers are still hunting for them and hunting for those that are affiliated. They want to make sure they squash what they view as a rebellion. And so they're basically in hiding. And, and, and Peter, he's, he's a very emotional disciple. He often acts without thinking. You don't have to wonder. He's one of those guys that you don't have to wonder what he's thinking because he's going to tell you, as he did Jesus on occasion and got rebuked for it. But here he decides, you know what, I'm going fishing. And over the years, he's taken a lot of grief for that statement. People have read into that statement saying that, that that means he's giving up on Jesus and he's going back to his old life. And I don't think that's what's happening here. I think he was bored. And he was probably hungry. And he was a fisherman for most of his life. And so he's going to go do what, what brings him comfort and puts food on the table. He's going to go fishing. And it says that Jesus appeared. It says Jesus showed himself. In other words, Jesus is in control of this situation. Jesus decides who he reveals himself to at this time. And Jesus revealed himself. But notice, you know, it tells who's all there. knows who is there this time? Thomas. See, Thomas learned his lesson. Now, wherever the disciples are at, Thomas is there. Because if Jesus is going to show himself again, Thomas is going to be there. He's not missing out on that first blessing like he did before. And we see some of the disciples that are there. And they decide to go fishing too. And they fish all night. Now keep in mind, most of these men that are out there, these were what we'd consider commercial fishermen. This is how they made their living. This is probably what their fathers did and their fathers' fathers did. And they're out there fishing all night. They know the area. They know where to find the fish, and they catch nothing. Seven fishermen out there, and they catch nothing. This wasn't here necessarily to prove the resurrection. That's not why Jesus was here. Jesus was here for a different lesson. The resurrection had already been proved. He had already been seen by them. Peter goes fishing. Times were a little different then. You couldn't. If you wanted fish, you couldn't just go to Publix and get some. You had to go catch it. And that's what they're doing. They caught nothing. And in this, they're going to learn a, a valuable lesson. If, if there is a failing here on Peter's part, it's that Peter is trying to fulfill his personal needs. You say, well, is that really a bad thing? It's not a bad thing as long as God's in the equation. As long as the equation starts with God. We're called to go work. In essence, Peter was doing the right thing. Peter's hungry, so he doesn't go out and beg for food. He goes and he catches fish, or tries to. Can you imagine? He probably went out there thinking, this fish is going to taste so good. And he throws in the net, and nothing. And he throws in the net again, and nothing. And he continues to, to, to throw in the net all night long. All seven of them, they're throwing in the net, and nothing's happening. They're catching nothing. Verse 4 says, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. So they see somebody. They see somebody on the shore. They don't know who it is because they're far enough out that they can't really recognize who it is. They probably weren't looking for Jesus. They weren't expecting Jesus. You ever run into somebody that you know and it takes you a minute because you, don't, you weren't expecting to see them there? They're out of place. It's not where you normally see them. Somebody from work maybe. Remember, a friend of mine is a is the the deacon at the Catholic Church. We need to pray for his salvation, by the way. And I'd met him the first time I met him. He'd come into the hospital to meet with some of the Catholic patients, and he was wearing a, his robes and everything. That's you know something that the Catholics do. And a couple weeks later, I, I go to a pastoral meeting in town, and and uh, it was the, my first meeting, my first time meeting with the pastoral councils and everything in town and all. And I come in, and a couple of pastors recognize me, and they're like, hey, Jay, you know, you know this person, you know this person. You know, you know John, right, from the Catholic Church? And I'm like, uh, it took me a moment. And I'm like, oh, John, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> he got a little embarrassed. It takes more than that to embarrass me. What I meant was he was wearing regular clothes, not a dress. And so that was a little different. Hopefully he listens to this, he'll... I have to tell him he's gonna get a kick out of that. Be praying for him. But his presence was there. His presence was immediate. It was sudden. It was unexpected. They're fishing, they're doing what they're doing, and all of a sudden here's this man standing on the shore. Now, they probably went fishing to an area where they wouldn't be seen. They probably weren't around the, the crowded portion of the beaches where the other fishermen and all were. They're were probably in a more secluded area because, again, they're being hunted. They see a man there, and that's not uncommon, to see somebody on the shore. They see Jesus Christ there. Then Jesus saith unto them, verse number five, "Children, have ye any meat?" And they answered him, "No." They probably figured he was just there, you know, as a customer or something, wanting to buy some fish or something. They didn't recognize him right away, and he says unto them, "Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find." They cast therefore, and now were not able to draw for the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, by the way. John refers to himself as that quite often in in the the gospel uh, according to John, the one that he wrote. Disciple who Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he girded up his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and he cast himself into the sea. This is the response that we need to have to the resurrected Jesus. I told you he was a very emotional person, Peter. This is the, the reaction that the new Christian generally has. And as we get older and, and, and Christ him, we start to lose that, that fervor a little bit. We start to lose that, that desire a little bit. We start to walk away from Christ, and suddenly when Christ appears or Christ does something in our life, it becomes something that's expected. We need to be more like Peter. When Jesus shows up in our life, We need to forget about the boat. We need to forget about the fish. Remember, he was hungry. He'd been up all night looking forward to a good breakfast, and it just didn't look like it was going to happen at this point. And he sees Jesus. The only thing he can think to do is jump in the water and swim to shore. The boat's not going to get there fast enough for Peter. We need to be more like that. When we're presented with that supernatural experience with Jesus Christ, when we're presented with his, his providence in our lives instead of taking it for granted, we need to be ready to just throw ourselves at his feet. One of the things we do on Wednesday night is we take praises. And I get embarrassed sometimes because I have to stop and think, what did God do for me this week? And I start thinking, I'm like, oh yeah, I started to do this. He did this, he did this. All these things he's done for me throughout the week and I'm just now getting ready to thank him for it? That's a little embarrassing for me. When God blesses, and even when God doesn't bless us, when we're presented with with Jesus Christ, we need to be ready to throw ourselves into the sea. Whatever we can do to get close to him. We should have that passion, that desire, that desire, To get to Jesus. Jesus wasn't a fisherman of traditional sorts. He was probably a carpenter. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what he did before. But he was probably a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. Traditionally, the the son would follow in whatever the the father did. So he was probably, his stepfather was a carpenter, so he was probably a carpenter. Carpenter doesn't make you an expert on fishes. Told him throw it on the other side. By the way, that makes no sense, does it? If you're fishing on a boat and you've been fishing all night, I bet you they've thrown the, that net off both sides. Just throw it off the right side. Why? Makes no sense. It makes sense because not only is God in control of the supernatural, He's also in control of the natural. Jesus knew where the fish were. They're His fish. He knew where they were. All night long, those fishermen playing hide and seek. They'd throw it off the right, they'd go to the left. Throw it off the left, they'd go to the right. And now it was time to catch them. And they caught them 153. 153. See, Peter had already seen Jesus a couple times. But seeing him again, hearing his voice again, there was nothing he could do but throw himself in the sea. That should be our response to the resurrection. You know, We look at Easter and we think, oh, that's a nice time of the year. You know, Jesus Christ was crucified for us and he was resurrected. And then we kind of move on with our lives and we forget about it until next Easter. We need to focus upon the resurrection more. More specifically, we need to focus upon the resurrected Jesus more. And our response to the resurrected Jesus should be the response that Peter had. Romans 4.25 says, Who was delivered for our offenses. What does that mean? He was delivered. He was taken. He was arrested. He was persecuted. He was killed for our offenses. Not his. Mine. And yours. And was raised again for our justification. Justification. We need to remember when we talk about the resurrection, the the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ did not go to the cross for him. He did not go to the cross because the Father told him to. He didn't go to the cross because it was just some divine plan. He didn't go to the cross because it would make some cool story later on. Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. For our offenses. And and he was resurrected for our offenses. Justification. The offenses are the sins we do, the crimes we commit, the things that we do in violation of God's law. Every one of those are crying crime before God. We deserve to be punished for those. We deserve to be crucified for those. We deserve to be killed for those. But Jesus Christ did it instead. Why? For our justification, not his. He didn't need to be justified. He was pure. He was holy. He was righteous. There was nothing about him that required justification. We're the sinners. That word justification means to take somebody who is guilty. That's us. And make them unguilty. I don't think that's proper English, but you get the point. It was explained to me like this when I was a kid. Justification means to, to, to make it just as if we had never sinned. you imagine? All the stuff Peter's done. All the times he doubted. All the sins he committed before he ever met Jesus Christ. All those things wiped away. How could he not do anything but throw himself into the sea and swim to Jesus? And we start getting a clear picture of the resurrection. We start getting a clear picture of the death. We start getting a, a clear picture of the price that was paid for our justification. What choice do we have? But to throw ourselves into the sea. To overcome any obstacles, to get to the feet of Jesus Christ, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Verse number 9 says, as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid there on and bread." I don't know if you caught that the first time. He's already cooking the fish. Now, he asked them for more, because, you know, he ain't sharing his. No, I'm just kidding. He asked for more, but, but he had already provided. They're out there struggling. They're out there out there hungry. They're out there trying to provide for themselves and Jesus has got a fish fry going on on the shore. And they didn't even notice. He's already got their breakfast ready for them. Nothing like a good breakfast in the morning, right? I like breakfast. Tuesday, this week. Some of you know I got fired at the hospital. Do you know that? I posted on Facebook, which isn't affiliated with the hospital, that that abortion is murder. And the hospital fired me. (laughs) Called me into HR. Escorted me off the property like I'm a criminal. And I'm like, are you serious? I thought it was a joke. That morning, it was early in the morning when I got up. And, and V had three dog visits. She's, she's a pet sitter. She had three visits first thing in the morning. So she got out of bed first. She got ready first. She was out doing her pet visits. I got up to go to this meeting at the hospital. Didn't know what it was about. Been there 11 years. Never, never had never an had ill word about me. Always got excellence on my reviews and everything. And uh, so she gets up early. I get up early. We go. And I said, you know, she made the comment. She's like, I'm not going to be able to fix your breakfast this morning. It's like, all right, I'll go to my girlfriend's house. My girlfriend's Wawa, by the way. <laughs> Best gas station breakfast in town. Just putting that out there. Don't get paid for endorsements. So I went, I got that and headed into the hospital. And so later on, I called her up, yeah, I got fired. She's like, What? Yeah, I got fired. I wasn't real happy there, anyways. I'm not really stressing over this. So don't don't fret about this. This is probably well, I know God'll turn this into a good thing. I didn't count on that money for um to eat. Mainly used it, well, it funded my 401k, and it funded uh, my mission trips. I haven't been able to do mission trips in a year and a half now because of COVID. So later on, she comes home, we're both there, and she says, you know, how are you doing? So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I could play this up for some sympathy. I got a great dinner that night, by the way, just to put that out there. She says, how are you feeling? She's like, you know, my sister was worried, you are, are you depressed? Are yeah, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I'm a little depressed. I don't get depressed. I'm well, like, yeah, I'm depressed. She's like, i will be okay. I said, I hope so. I hope tomorrow I get breakfast. I was, that was the worst, the worst thing that happened to me that day is I got up there and was no breakfast ready. Jesus is fixing them breakfast. That's going to be a good day for them. They're, they're struggling and working, trying to, trying to get the fish so they can go cook fish, so they can have some breakfast. Jesus has already got the fish fry going. He's already got the fish. He's already got the bread. He's already put it all together. The land, the fire, the fish, the bread. He was showing that he is the same Jesus that's been with them for the past three and a half years. He's showing them that he's the same master that they've been following. He's showing them that, that even though he died and was resurrected, he is there physically in his body. We don't serve a spirit in Jesus Christ. We serve a a physically resurrected Jesus Christ. No other religion in the world can claim that. Every other religion in the world, they worship dead people. Buddhists worship dead people. Mormons worship dead people. Catholics worship dead people. We worship a resurrected God, Jesus Christ. Then when we're hungry. He'll go cook some fish for us. Verse number 10. Jesus said to them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Peter was the obedient servant. He may have been a little hot headed, a little bit emotional. But Jesus said, bring the fish. And not only did he bring the fish, he took the time to count the fish. 153 of them. Some people say God doesn't care about numbers. He cared about the number of fish that were caught. He has a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. I think numbers are important to him. I think he cares about numbers. Whether it's one or 153, I think Jesus cares about that. Jesus showed them that he could see, speak, hear, feel, eat. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. He was not just a vision. He was not just a spirit. He wasn't because they got so hungry they're starting to see things. You ever got so hungry you started seeing things? That's not what was happening. He was real. He was physical. And he was there. He was help- heaping proof Upon proof, upon proof of his bodily resurrection. You see, there's going to be a time when he's going to leave the disciples. And they're going to go through all the corners of the world preaching the gospel, preaching a resurrected Jesus. And they don't have to say, We think he's resurrected. They can say, We know he's resurrected because we saw him here, we saw him here, we saw him here. He made me fish, he fed me when I was hungry. He took care of me after the resurrection. heaping proof upon proof upon proof. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and gave them and fish likewise. Come and dine. He still gives us the invitation today. Come and dine. Beyond our salvation, it goes beyond just our salvation, just beyond that justification to our sanctification where he continues to feed us even after we're saved. He continues to help us grow. He continues to provide for us. That's what he's doing. Come and dine. Come and dine. He invited him to eat, just like he always had. He invited him to come with him. Just like he always has. None of them dare to ask, are you really Jesus? Because he's right there. That'd be a dumb question, wouldn't it? He's right there. No, is he right there? He's doing exactly what he was doing before the crucifixion. He's supplying their needs. He's protecting them. He's taking care of them. He invited them to eat, and he ate with them. Just like he always had. Just like he always had. Sitting there with Jesus, eating. The resurrected Savior. I'm wondering if it sunk into them when they first saw Jesus. Or the second time. Probably here. While they're all sitting around eating and talking just like they always had they probably suddenly realized death has no grip. We live in fear of death. And we look at death as being this this end of everything when it's not. And for them, this had to be such an assertion. not just that Jesus Christ was alive, but now they didn't have to fear the greatest fear that they've had. The Romans are going to come and kill us, so the Romans come and kill you. Big deal. Jesus walked out of the grave, If Jesus has the power to walk out of the grave, he has the power to resurrect us as well. We don't have to fear death. They don't have to fear death. They knew that death was now conquered. It wasn't just words. We talk about Jesus Christ being the manifestation of God's love. That means that that God's love was made real because we talk about love and, and poets and sonnets and and musicians, they talk about love over and over and over again. And we talk about love, but love still seems to be intangible. It seems to be something we can't quite grasp sometimes. And we can't quite define sometimes. And so because of that, God saying, I love you. We kind of like, okay. But when that love is made real, when it's made manifest, it's documented. That's what Jesus was the manifestation of God's love. It's made real. And now, this is being made real. The fact that death has no power over us is made real through the resurrection. The fact that Jesus Christ will supply our needs is made real through what he did after the resurrection. We're not just talking about flowers and puppy dogs. We're not talking about hopeful wishes and things. We're talking about real things that have happened or continue to happen today. Jesus Christ is still just as resurrected today as he was then. He will still supply our need just as he did then. He'll do that now. He wasn't just there to give them fish. He was there to teach all of us a lesson. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how self-sufficient we think we are. He's the one that brings the light in the darkness and the fish to breakfast. He made real what he talked about. Remember, they spent three and a half years with him. and They'd heard what he had to say. They'd heard it over and they'd heard it over. We don't get to see it all in the Bible because there's so much he did. But I would imagine after a while, some of the things he said... They probably could almost, they probably almost memorize it. Remember? we know they do because they go out in the book of Acts and they start saying the same thing to other people. They probably remember it back to that time when, when he was talking early on in his ministry. He's told them about how much God loved them, how much God loved the world, that he sent him, he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That seemed impossible. How can we live forever? Everybody dies. How can we live forever? And Jesus says, watch. And he walks out of the grave. And lives forever. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just happy thoughts. He He says, hold my fish. Watch what I'm about to do. And he walked out of the grave. Verse number 14 is one of those verses that we kind of just kind of skip over sometimes. It says, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. His resurrection is being affirmed by John here in this writing as the third time. Why is he doing this? Why is John writing this? John already told us why he's writing this. Go back a chapter. Go back to chapter number 20. Look at the last verse of chapter number 20. John says, but these are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That's why John's writing this. He's not just writing a third time. Oh, yeah, by the way, Jesus was here a third time. Oh, there's the fourth time. He's not just writing it because he didn't have anything else to write, he's not just writing it because he has to fill up a certain number of pages. He's writing it for a specific reason. Everything we see in the book of John is written for a specific reason so that we can believe. We can believe Jesus is the Christ. Not a Christ, the Christ. That he is the son Son of God. And more importantly, that in believing... You might have life through His name. There's no other way. Jesus Christ also said, "I am the, the way, the truth and the line. There is no way to the Father except by me. That's it. I'm it. I'm not A-way, I'm the way. And now this is made real. Him standing on the shore, him preparing the fish, him appearing time after time after time is proof that it wasn't just a hallucination. It's trustworthy. He's going to continue to appear before people. Different people. Hundreds of people are going to give testimony that Jesus Christ walked on the earth after the resurrection. Why? You might have life through his name. That promise is as real today as it's ever been. It was as real to us today as it, as it was to the disciples. Their realization that Jesus Christ had defeated death so they didn't have to die is just as real for us today, if we believe on His name. The Bible calls it being born again. We're told to repent. What is repent? Turn away from our sin. Turn away from our worldliness. Turn away from our, our self-reliance. Turn away from all those things that, that build walls between us and God. Turn away from those things and turn where? To Jesus Christ. Believe on his name. Not happy thoughts. Not willpower. His name. The Bible tells us repeatedly from the very first part of, of Genesis it tells us that we live in a, a sinful, corrupt world. Tells us in the book of Romans that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. That's one of those duh verses, I think. You have to be really a, a, a sociopath or, or a narcissist to, to think that you're not a sinner. So, God writing it down that all of sin, well, okay, duh. I've never met anybody that thought they were perfect. We all know we're sinners. That's a problem. Not only do we know we're sinners, we know it's a problem. The Bible says it's a huge problem. It tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now here, we've been talking about resurrection. We've been talking about the opposite of death because that's what Jesus Christ brings. Sin brings death. It brings separation. Because of of sin, we are separated from people that we love. They die and we're separated from them. Or we die and we're separated from them. This sin goes a step further. It not just separates us on the physical plane, it also separates us on the supernatural plane. We're not only separated from the people we love here, but we're separated from God. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? After they sinned? God came, well, what happened? Adam's like, hey, that woman you gave me, she's bad news. There's something wrong with her. All through the scripture, though, do you know who was held accountable for that? Adam. He's supposed to be the high priest of his household. By the way, guys, you're the high priest of your household. It's not our job to teach your kids. We do, but we should be reinforcing what you've already told them. Because you're with them six days a week. We get them for an hour a week. That's your job, guys. It's not your wife's job. Although, praise God, we've had so many faithful women in this country that have, have prayed over and, and, and taught their children, and there's, there's nothing wrong with them. But understand, guys, that's your job first. You're the high priest. You're the man. And we like the part of the Bible where it says you know, that, that women have to, um, um, what's the word? I forgot it. Submit. There we go, submit. Women, submit to your husbands. Yeah, we're like, yeah. Husbands, die for your wife. Wait, what? (laughs) I got to die? I like the submit part. I don't like the die part. You know why women are supposed to submit to their husbands? Because husbands are supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing being the high priest of their family. Guys, you're doing exactly what the Bible tells you to do. You're not going to have a hard time with your wife submitting to you. It's in their nature. They don't want to be the high priest, they want to be the nurturers, the carers. They want to pray with their children be the discipline. Well, that was quite the little rabbit trail, wasn't it? We all have that problem. We all live separated from God. And then we die and we're separated forever. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the exact opposite, but it's better than opposite. Opposite would just be life. This isn't just life, this is eternal life. The disciples got it. Or they're getting it. Have you gotten it? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever tithes or gets baptized or joins the church or Helps old ladies across the street. Those are all fine, dandy, and great things to do. But it's calling upon the name of the Lord that saves our eternal souls. Not being a good person. Because at the end of the day, we can never be a good enough person. If we could be a good enough person, Jesus wouldn't have had to have died. You're here today. You should be able to look back at a point in time in your life when you went from being a sinner on your way to hell to a forgiven sinner On your way to heaven. There should be a line drawn in the sand in your life when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's different for everybody. Some people come about it very late in life, some people very young. I know from your testimonies, many of you accepted Christ when you were when you were a child. That's when I did. My eternity is secure. It's been secure for dozens of years. How about yours? So here's the great thing. Just as real as he was then, just as real as he was when I was a child and I accepted him as my Savior, he is just as real today and has the same perfect power of forgiveness today. doesn't matter what you've done. I've had people tell me, Pastor, you have no idea what I've done. I don't. I don't want to know. Do I know everything you did? I'm probably not going to sit with you during fellowship. You scare me. Not because I'm judging you. I'm just kind of afraid. I don't need to know. God already knows. God knew before he said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He didn't say, "Oh, but did you see what Justin did?" Whosoever other than Justin that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because Justin, woo, he's out there, man. That's not what it says, though, is it? He knew what Justin was going to do. He knew what Dean was going to do. He knew what Steve was going to do. He even knew what Miss Doris was going to do. That's a list. I'm telling you, don't get her started. You'll be here all day. You'll be begging for a fish fry by the time it's over. That's the same power. The same power that saved each one of them is the power that can save you today. Here's the great thing. If you're listening online, you don't even have to be here to do it. You could do it in your house. You could do it in your car. It's just simply as simple as it sounds. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. That's how easy it is. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. And we're going to invite you to come forward if you'd like to know more about that, or if you want to pray for anything else, feel free to come forward. If you're online you're watching us, you want to know more, contact us. Send us an email. Call us. Let us know. We'll do everything we can to answer every single question that you have about knowing for sure when you die, you'll go to heaven. Don't let pride stand in your way. Don't worry about what people are going to think about you. I can tell you what people are going to think about you. You're thinking, oh, I've been in church all my life, and if I I accept Christ as my Savior now, everybody's going to look at me, point their fingers, say, he's living a lie. That's not what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen if you've lived your entire life in church and you finally get saved? Everybody's going to say, praise God. Praise God. Angels are going to rejoice. And nobody's going to point a finger. But I can't do that for you. Only you can do that for you.